Hi, my name is Audrey on program staff. You're listening to week five of the Falls Creek podcast. The speaker for week five was Nick Ataya, and we had 4,039 students in attendance. Enjoy. Y'all seem like you're having a good time worshiping the Lord Jesus tonight. Amen. I tell you, and I've talked about this with the band and some other people, you all are a singing group of people. You really are. It's so pleasant to hear that. One of the things that, just like last night, I want to take just a, a, a minute or two or an opportunity, if you will, to do is, you know, that which we do ought to be to bring glory to God. We recognize the glory of God, but we honor people. We honor people for their service to the gospel and to the ministry of the gospel. And I want to invite, uh, I don't know if she knows I'm doing this, I want to invite somebody to come out here. I want to invite Sarah Wooten to come and join me on stage right now. Sarah Wooten. And as she's coming, I want to tell you something. So much of what you see here at Falls Creek, what you experience here at Falls Creek, is put together and organized and administrated by certain people. And one of the chief people behind organizing your experience at Falls Creek is right here in Sarah Wooten. She is one of my favorite people on planet earth because she loves the Lord. She loves the Lord. She loves all of you and she works hard in gospel ministry. And so I want to pray for you tonight, Sarah, okay, as we get started. Father, we love you. We trust you. We are so thankful that you have blessed the state of Oklahoma with a place called Falls Creek. And we are so thankful that you have blessed Oklahoma with people like Sarah who work in gospel ministry to give these students and these churches the very best experience possible that people might hear and receive the gospel in a place like this. And so we ask that you would just bless her, that you would give her special favor, that you would make your face to shine upon her and give her peace. It's in Christ's name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. (laughs) 2009, I can remember it still very clearly, because July of 2009 was my very first time I ever got to enter the gates of Safeco Field, where the Seattle Mariners play. Some of you, that means nothing, but to me, that meant a whole lot. I got to go to Safeco Field. It's no longer called Safeco Field. For 20 years, it was. Now it's called T-Mobile Park. I don't like that, but whatever. Safeco Field. I took a group of high school students with me. We drive into Seattle. We're running a little bit late for the game. So we're going to watch the Seattle Mariners play the New York Yankees, boo, no, no, there's a reason they're called the evil empire, they bought all their championships, anyway, not bitter about that, so we're running a little bit late, and I'm starting to get frustrated, because I'm not going to Safeco Field for the first time to miss any of the action, and so we get our parking spot, we get unloaded, we make our way into the park, and it's already the bottom of the first inning. And so we're walking into the park, and 
this is 2009, and so the Mariners have just re-signed Ken Griffey Jr. And so Ken Griffey Jr., you see people wearing their hats backwards tomorrow, it's because of Ken Griffey Jr. you wear your hat backwards. That's the impact, all right? So I know he's hitting third in the lineup, and so I'm like, it's already the bottom of the first inning. He's probably going to be, you know, already struck out or something like that. He was getting old. So we walk in, as soon as we walk in to the seating area, we're coming in behind home plate, we get into a clearing where we can see the game, and guess who's walking to the plate? Ken Griffey Jr., okay? And I'm standing there next to Bryce Russler and Will Yarbrough and Isaac Queen, and we're standing there. Second pitch, what do you think he does? He hits a home run. And I was like, I can die. I've seen it. I've seen Ken Griffey Jr. hit a home run. You might say that for me, a Seattle Mariners fan, that was glorious. And I probably have used that word to describe that day many times. Oh, I walked in, Ken Griffey Jr. took the plate, second pitch, curveball, home run. I saw him round the bases. My eyes eyes have seen it. It was glorious, right? And we use that word, glorious, and we use it sometimes so simply and without thinking about the word glorious and where that word comes from and what that word means and, and, and what, we, what we give credit to that we call glorious. I want you to turn again to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, as we continue reading through The Apostle John's Gospel, we're going to be in verses 14 through 18 tonight. And here's what I want us to see tonight. The first night, Jesus is the Word. The second night, Jesus is life and light. Tonight, Jesus is the glory of God. He is the glory of our Heavenly Father. And we're going to see that and what that means. How do we picture the fullness of the glory of God found in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 14, would you stand as we honor the reading of the word? John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John testified concerning and said, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me, because he existed before me. And indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For although the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side, He has revealed Him. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we love You and we trust You. And it is our prayer tonight that we would see here in Your word the fullness, the grace upon grace, the glory of our Heavenly Father 
that was in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to earth. Might you give us a taste of that glory tonight. It's in the name of Jesus the Nazarene that we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Now this is a beautiful thing that John is doing for us once again. As he continues to paint the picture for us to help us see who Jesus is, what he has said, and what he has done. Now it's important tonight that we remember something. As we look at this verse and as we talk about these verses, it's important that we remember something. At the time that John writes the gospel, he has already witnessed and experienced the life of Jesus. So he's remembering and he's reflecting. So everything he talks about in the gospel is not live stream. (laughs) He's remembering this. So he has already at this point seen the fullness of God in Jesus. He has already at this point as he's writing this, he has seen the glory of God found in Jesus. And he's experienced it. And he's seen the impact it's made on the world. And so as he writes, we must remember he's giving testimony of what he has already seen and already experienced in the person of Jesus. And the reality is that he's established that Jesus is the Son of God. He came to earth, but now he shows us That when he came to earth, he came that he might dwell and take up residence with us. Meaning he's going to live amongst the people. It's the glory of heaven and the glory of God come to earth. Now if you don't understand how beautiful of a picture that is and how significant that is, my hope and prayer is that by the end of this message you will. You will see the glory of Jesus And his coming to earth and how significant that is. But the reality is, Jesus coming to live with us, this is the statement, it's what we believe, that when we declare it, we lose people. This is where people go, yeah, that's enough, I don't need to hear any more about this Jesus. Because people are not comfortable with this reality with this glory of God the Father and all of eternity coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that he became man. It's very uncomfortable for people to think about this. Because if Jesus, the Lord, in all of his glory, if God became man, if he came to earth, it means that the rest of the story about Jesus must be true. And if the rest of the story about Jesus is true, then we must believe in Jesus. We're left with no other conclusion than if God really became man, the Son of God, Jesus, and came to take residence with us, then everything else about Jesus must be true. And if everything else is true, it means I've got to submit to him. I've got to believe in what he says. I've got to do what he says. So people are uncomfortable with this reality that Jesus would become flesh, that God would become man. I mean, think about it. 
You can have the entire collection of narratives found in the scriptures. And if you extract from that, if you pull from the story, from, God, from the Bible, if you pull from the story of God's history, if you pull from that, that, Jesus be, that God became man, that Jesus came and dwelt among us, if you take that out and read it without that, the Bible becomes very confusing and doesn't make a whole lot of sense at that point. Because now you're going to read God's word and you're going to go, I'm missing something. I'm missing the key part of this whole story. But that's not what happened. God becomes man. The Son of God, Jesus, came to take residence with us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher from, uh, he died about uh, 40 years ago, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that this is the evidence of Jesus coming to tabernacle with us. Now we're in a mighty fine tabernacle tonight. This is a beautiful tabernacle. Thankful for Oklahoma Baptists for having this place for us. It's a multi-million dollar building that you can fit 7,000 people in. It's glorious. This is awesome. You know what happens to a building like this? We call it a tabernacle. You know what happens to a, a tabernacle, a brick and mortar with all the stuff you see around it? If you take all the people out of it, you take all the word of God out of it, you take all the preaching out of it, you take all the singing to Jesus out of it, you take the Christians out of it, you know what happens to this place? It's no longer a tabernacle. It's just a building. You can do all kinds of things in here. That will, that will put the name of this building in error. It would no longer be a tabernacle if we did other things besides what we do in this place. What makes it a tabernacle is that the people of God come together and we trust that the presence of God is with us. And so we tabernacle with God. We are in fellowship. And we know that the Spirit of God is here and dwells with us. That's what makes it a tabernacle. And when Jesus stepped off the throne and came to earth, John says he came to take residence among us that we could observe his glory. He came to give us the picture of the true tabernacle. The glory of God. But if Jesus doesn't come to earth, if God does not become man through God the Son, Jesus, then we've got a couple of problems with the whole gospel story. You see, listen here. If Jesus doesn't become man, then that means Jesus cannot be tested. Right? He can't be tempted. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us, who cannot relate to us. But what we have is a high priest who was tempted in every way that we are, that we might know that he was sinless. So if Jesus doesn't become man, then he can't relate. He can't empathize with us. Now that's a problem. It's a problem if the one who's going to pay the price for our sin 
cannot understand what we're going through, what it's like to be tempted by sin. He knows exactly, listen, don't miss this. Jesus knows exactly what you are going through and how you feel. It is this that ensures us that victory over sin is possible because he came to take residence among us. If Jesus does not become man, then he could not be our supreme example. Who am I supposed to be like? What am I supposed to look like? How am I supposed to think? How am I supposed to love? How can I be holy? 1 Peter 2.21 says this. For to this you were called, because Christ came and left an example that you should follow. Meaning, when Jesus came and dwelt among us, he left an example for us to follow. Here's what it looks like to follow God. Here's what it looks like to be holy. Here's what it looks like to love. Without Jesus, we don't have that supreme example. If Jesus does not become man, and this is the most, I don't know if you could say most important, but it sure seems like the most important. If Jesus does not become man, then he cannot die. If he doesn't come to dwell, if he doesn't come to earth, he cannot die. What happened in the cradle was so that what happened at the cross was possible. It answers the question of why God became a man. That's a question that sometimes puzzles people. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. What Peter's saying there is that because Jesus became man, he was able to go to the cross and die in the flesh for you and for me. But if he doesn't become man, he can't do that. So as John is reflecting on the life of Jesus and his experience with Jesus, he's telling us here in his gospel, don't forget this. This is key. This is important. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. And this is where the picture gets so beautiful. We observe his glory the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He says in verse 16, indeed we have all received grace after grace. So for John, one of the experiences that he so wants people to know about, to make note of when it comes to the person of Jesus, is that with Jesus there's grace upon grace. The fullness of God brings grace upon grace. Now, to give grace means you're giving somebody something that they don't deserve, right? If you go to your history class this fall, and you do really poor work, and you get a D, you've earned a D at the end of the semester, 
and your teacher goes, you know what, you've been really kind all year, you've helped, you've picked up the trash in the room, you've helped me organize the desk, I'm going to go ahead and give you a B. You did not earn that B in your homework and in your studies, but the teacher has decided, I'm just going to pour out grace upon you and give you a B. You didn't deserve it, but you got it. And when John says that Jesus, the fullness of God, who came as grace and truth, is giving grace upon grace, he's establishing this. Jesus came and gave us what we did not deserve. The eternal life that Jesus came to give us, we did not deserve that. But he gives it. And it says grace upon grace, meaning there's more grace that Jesus is a perpetual grace giver. He's constantly giving you things that you don't deserve and that you haven't earned. I'll give you a, one of those small nuggets of grace that sometimes we overlook, but we must be reminded that God is constantly giving us little portions of grace that we should glorify Him with. It would be foolish of me to try to convince you that it was not some kind of dream or bucket list to get to preach at Falls Creek. Of course it was on a bucket list. Of course it was a dream. Of course I never expected the opportunity to get to preach at Falls Creek. And two years ago when Andy Harrison asked me to preach at Falls Creek, I was in Oklahoma City. 45 minutes to an hour away from where I was headed in Seminole, Oklahoma. He asks me at lunch to preach at Falls Creek. When I got in my truck to drive an hour back to Seminole, I didn't turn on the radio. I didn't say a word. I just sat there in my truck, stunned. Overwhelmed and stunned. That God would pour His grace out upon me and give me that opportunity. And so Monday night... Before I came out here, I was back here in a room and I was all by myself. People had been praying for me. My wife had prayed for me. Many of the leadership here had prayed for me. Friends and family back home were sending me text messages, were praying for you. And it was so humbling. And that was the grace being extended to me that God would stir people to pray for me. It's a beautiful thing. If anybody's ever come up to you and said, I want to pray for you, you know that's the grace of God. And I was sitting back there, and I just had this sense that I longed for one more person to pray for me. That if just this one more person could put his hands on me and pray for me, it would just be that extra little bit of grace that God would give me that I would go, okay, Lord, I'm ready. I hear a knock on the door. And as I'm walking to the door, I'm thinking, could it be? And I open the door, and it's Doug Melton. That's who I wanted there to pray for me. Everybody else that I'd wanted to pray for me had prayed for me. And the one guy that I was hoping would be there to, to, to just put his hands on my shoulder and pray for me, there he was. And I opened the door and I looked at him and I said, oh, I was praying it would be you. And he put his hands on me and he prayed for me. And the only thing I could think about was, 
Wednesday night, I'm preaching about the grace upon grace. That knowing Jesus means that you get the fullness of God in the person of Jesus. The glory of God being shown in Jesus. And he just perpetually dumps grace after grace on you. And it, you, you may be sitting there thinking, oh, I was just somebody showing up to pray for you. But it was the longing of my heart and God said, I'll meet you there. That's grace. John, as he unfolds this grace and truth in Jesus, and this grace upon grace, and this fullness of God, it's all wrapped in this major eternal bubble of this word, glory. It's because Jesus embodies the full glory of God that John says we get this experience. We get this in Jesus, the full glory of God. What is the glory of God? It is the greatest of God seen visibly. And that's who Jesus is. The greatest of God seen visibly. And that's what John is talking about here in this passage. All of God, the greatness of his holiness, the greatness of his wonder, and all of his glory right here in Jesus, the Son of God. And he came to earth. Can you believe it? He came to earth. God said he would and we hoped he would. We prayed he would and he did. He came to earth. And he came to bring the glory of God to earth. And we might be thinking, okay, so he came to earth. He lived this great life. He's, he's, he's given grace out. Okay, But what's the greatest picture of glory? What is the most wonderful picture of glory that we can see in Jesus Christ? Was it his teaching? That's glorious. Was it his miracles? That's glorious. Was it his time in, in intimate relationship with his disciples? That's glorious. What is the greatest picture of the glory of God found in the person of Jesus Christ? Remember, John's already experienced this. He knows from start to finish where this story is going. And later he would write to us. And he will tell us where the greatest picture of the glory of God is found in Jesus Christ. If you flip over to John chapter 12. There is a beautiful thing that happens here. As Jesus is going to predict before the people his death his crucifixion, he's going to tell them, guess what, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified. But look at how Jesus describes his death. Look at how he describes the crucifixion. In John chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So he's telling them, when I go to die, that is my time to be glorified. And John writes, he says, the glory of God is in Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus who says, when I go to the cross to die, that's when I'll be glorified. The cross. The cradle happened, so the cross was possible. The cross is where God is most glorified in the person of Jesus Christ. The cross. 
Five years ago, a man stood on this stage, preached one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard. Not just at Falls Creek, period. One of the greatest sermons I've ever heard. And he gave all of us who were hearing a picture. A picture of what Jesus is describing here. Because Jesus doesn't stop here. As he continues to tell the story of what's going to happen, he gets over to, you get over to verse 32 and he says this. He says, as for me, if I am lifted up above the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And the Bible says that he said this to signify what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus is telling the disciples, he's telling those who will hear, the hour has come for me to be glorified, and I will be most glorified when I am lifted up above the earth, and I am put on that cross. Because when I'm lifted up above the earth, and I'm put on that cross, I will draw all people to myself. The cross and crucifixion was never intended by mortal men to be something beautiful, to be something glorious, to be something that we would hang on our walls and wear around our necks. No, it was repulsive. It was disgusting. You turned from the cross when you saw somebody being hung on it. It was bloody. It had flesh on it. It was a sign of death. It was a torture tool for death. We don't see that as beautiful. If you see something like that as beautiful, there's something wrong with you. But Jesus says, when I go to that cross, bloodied, skin torn from me, broken bones, crown of thorns on my head, nails through my hands, and nails through my feet, when I'm up there, it'll be the most beautiful thing that God has ever seen. And the glory of God will be found in the cross when I'm hanging on it. And he did that so that you and I could be with him forever. He did that so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. He did that so you and I could be made whole. So that you and I could have new life. The glory of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And the most beautiful part of the life of Christ is when he's hanging on that cross. If you don't believe me, go to the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, John the Apostle's account of what's going to happen in the end, he gets a picture into heaven. God so graciously gives him a picture of what all of heaven is like. And when John sees this picture of all the creatures and all the inhabitants of heaven worshiping, the book of Revelation describes Jesus Christ as they're worshiping him in this way. I saw him as if a lamb slain. The cross for all of eternity will be that which has most glorified God. Because God promised to make 
a way for your sin and my sin to be forgiven. And God came through with his promise. He sent his son. And the Bible says, for all that confess in the name of Jesus Christ, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus is the glory of God. And we sit here tonight, we stand here tonight, we're gathered this week, and so many of us will look at a passage like this. We'll hear the story of Jesus. We'll have people unfold the mystery for us, and we'll see the glory of God on the cross there, and his name is Jesus Christ. And some of us will look at that and go, not for me, but others. Some of you, some of you in this room right now, as you think about your sin, as you think about your eternal life, as you think about your wretched, dysfunctional, decaying life, and as your soul is with you right now, and as I proclaim the message of Jesus Christ going to the cross for the sins of the world, right now your soul is jumping and turning and screaming and crying and yearning for you to say, I believe, I trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You need but confess him as Lord and trust him as Savior. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Right now, I'm about to pray for you. And when I'm done praying, the band is going to lead us in a time of worship, a time of response. And during that time of response... If tonight, all of a sudden, the glory of God in Christ Jesus and the cross that he was nailed to makes sense to you because the Holy Spirit's shaking your soul, your soul is waking you up, you need Jesus. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You need to confess him as Lord. If that's you tonight, then we want you to come. We want you to come and confess him as Lord. Testify that Jesus is now your Savior. Because that's what he wants. That's why he came to earth to dwell with us. That's why he came to earth. He is the glory of God. Would you receive him tonight as your savior? Now listen. The message of the cross is not for any one type of person. When Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. I don't know what your background is. There's a whole host of ages of people represented here. We've got young people, we've got old people, we've got children, we've got teens. We've got all kinds of people in the room. And Jesus was lifted up above the earth on the cross for each and every one of you, if you would but trust in his name. And call out to him for forgiveness of sin. So would you stand right now? Some of you will be here tonight. You'll be worshiping over these next few moments. Some of you are going to be dealing with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be asking God, God, are you calling me to trust and believe in you? Others of you will be praying for the people next to you.
let this simple prayer reign in this room over the next few moments that we might see and experience the fullness of God found in the person of Jesus Christ, that the glory of God would fill this room. The Bible says that heaven rejoices when one sinner repents of their sins and comes to Jesus. And we're trusting tonight that sinners all across this room would repent of their sins and come to Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We trust you. We trust your word. And we are a people who have been given the greatest grace that can ever be given to people. We've been given Jesus Christ, the glory of God. And if we would but confess you as Lord Jesus, you are faithful to save us and give us eternal life. Pray that you would draw, just as you promised you would do, you would draw people to repent of their sins and confess you as Lord. We love you and we trust you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening.